The topic today is the fate of the heathen. What will happen to all those people who are outside Jesus Christ? The fate of the heathen. Would you please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4 verses 10 to 12. This is going to be really the theme verse of the talk today. The fate of the heathen. What happens to people outside the kingdom of Christ? Acts chapter 4, please come to verse 10 and onwards. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become a capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The Bible teaches that a person cannot be saved in any other way than through Christ. I cannot be saved because I'm a sincere follower of Buddha. I cannot be saved because as a sincere seeker for truth, I follow Kali, the goddess of the Hindus, or anybody else. The Bible says that the only way that a person can be saved is through Jesus Christ. America, this blessed land and this wonderful land, has many wonderful chapters in her history. There is one chapter that is not wonderful. It is an awful chapter. It is a chapter of American history that is written in blood. It is written in the blood of slaves. I'm going to read you a statement that we seldom read from the pen of a person whom I believe was blessed by God with the gift of prophecy. An American prophetess, Ellen White, and I read to you from her early writings. This is a statement we seldom look at, seldom read. The cries of the oppressed have reached under heaven. Angels stand amazed at the untold, agonizing sufferings which man formed in the image of his maker causes his fellow man. Said the angel, the names of the oppressors are written in blood, crossed with stripes and flooded with agonizing, burning tears of suffering. God's anger will not cease until he has caused this land of light to drink the dregs of the cup of his fury until he is rewarded unto Babylon double. Now, the statement that we wish were not there. I saw that the slave master will have to answer for the soul of his slave whom he has kept in ignorance. And the sins of the slave will be visited upon the master. 
God cannot take to heaven the slave who has been kept in ignorance and degradation. Knowing nothing of God or the Bible, fearing nothing but his master's lash, and holding a lower position than the brutes, but he does the best thing for him that a compassionate God can do. He permits him to be as if he had not been. While the master must endure the seven last plagues and then come up in the second resurrection and suffer the second most awful death, then the justice of God will be satisfied. Here, my friend, we have an unpalatable truth that these poor black slaves who were kept in darkness by their white masters, knowing nothing but the lash, knowing nothing of Christ, will not be resurrected. They will be as though they had never been born because God cannot take them to heaven in their situation. They were kept in darkness, kept in ignorance. I quote again, God cannot take to heaven the slave who has been kept in darkness and ignorance. It is commonly believed by many earnest, misguided people, that people in darkness and ignorance, if they haven't had the opportunity, will be saved. It is taught, it is preached everywhere. It is a fundamental belief of many Christians that if people have been kept in darkness and ignorance without an opportunity, they will be saved. It is a heresy. It is a lie. These poor people were kept in ignorance and darkness and they will not be resurrected. I wonder how many other people will be in the same category because the church failed to take to the slaves of sin the gospel of Christ, I ask you. I want you to notice some fundamental Bible truths. I want to say to the people who are watching on our television stations across North America, particularly to my beloved friends who watch Three Angels Broadcasting Network that we love and appreciate, listen carefully to the texts of the Bible and do not believe me because it is simply my word. Believe it because it is the weight of evidence from the word of God. And may this talk stir the church of the living God to do something to the slaves of sin who are dying in ignorance and darkness without Christ. The first great fundamental Bible truth is this, how is a person saved? Now before we can answer that question, we must ask and answer some other questions. And here is the great question that we shall start with. What is man's natural condition? You know, my friend, there is great darkness in this land. There is great light. There is great darkness in the gospel. A person wrote to me the other day and said, Pastor Carter, you've got it all wrong because a person is born saved. But the Bible teaches that a person is born lost. That person had it completely wrong. Would you come to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 and 14? And I appeal to you in the name of Christ. Look at the text of the Bible. 
I don't want you to be convinced by my words, but I want you to be convinced by the words of the Bible. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 5, Therefore just as sin entered the world through the one man, and death through sin, and in this day death came to all men because all sin. When Adam sinned, the Bible said, death came into the world, my friend. And the reason there is death in the world is because of the sin of Adam, because he was the father of the human race in that sense. Notice verse 14, nevertheless death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. My friend, I want you to please prayerfully think this through. The Bible says that between Adam and Moses, the time of the giving of the law, death reigned over People who had not sinned as Adam sinned. I ask you, how did Adam sin? The Bible tells us by breaking a command of God. But the Bible says death reigned over people who had not willingly broken the command of God or the law of God. And they still died. Babies died. Why did babies die? between Adam and Moses because they had willingly broken the law of God? No, the Bible says in Adam all die. It was because of the sin of Adam that brought death into the world. And when I am born into this world, my friend, I am born as a son of Adam and I need a savior. Please notice Romans chapter 5. Why is this subject so little understood? I will tell you why, because people do not think through the text of the Bible. Notice verse 19 of Romans 5. For justice through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The Bible teaches, my beloved friends, that we are lost in Adam, but hallelujah, we are saved in Jesus Christ. Did you hear it? We are lost in Adam, but we are saved in Jesus Christ. And therefore there's no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved, but the name of Jesus would you please come to Ephesians chapter 2. This passage is so plain, I cannot understand how a person can miss the mark on this truth. Ephesians chapter 2 by St. Paul. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. How was a person before he came to Christ? dead in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient the bible says dead without christ now verse 12 remember that at that time you were separate from christ excluded from citizenship in israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. 
Listen to the words that are used concerning the man outside of Christ. I say to you today, if you're outside of Christ, these words apply to you. The Bible says, dead. The Bible says, separate. The Bible says, excluded. The Bible says, foreigners, aliens, without hope, without God in the world, without Christ. What a picture. What a picture of desolation. Thank God that the Son of God came to this world, born of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me tell you a little of my experience around the world. I've had the privilege of preaching now to millions of people around the world. I've had thousands of people come to me and they've said to me, thank God, Pastor God, that you came. Because I was dead. I was separate. I was alienated. I was lost. But God sent you to us and now I am alive and I am saved. Do you remember the words of Jesus to the Pharisee? Nicodemus who came to see him. Nicodemus came recorded in John chapter 3 and said, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no man could do the things you're doing unless God was with him. And Jesus looked him in the eye and said, you must be born again. I tell you the truth, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Jesus said, unless a man is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. My friend, the awful tragedy is because of the sins of the master, those Negro slaves never had the opportunity to be born again. You cannot go to heaven unless you're born again. When I am born the first time, I am born in a state of sin. I'm born with a sinful human nature. I'm born alienated from God. But when I come to Christ, the Spirit of God comes into my life and I am born justified by the blood of Christ and declared righteous. I am born firstly in sin, in the second birth. I am born in righteousness with the Spirit of God in my life and I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus and then I'm ready to go to heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You see, God cannot take any person in this church, God cannot take any person to heaven unless he is born again. I want to give you some quotations from the pen of Ellen White. I believe she was a modern day prophetess. And these are the quotations we don't use. These are the ones we don't use. Evangelism. Let me have the book. One of my favorite books. A whole book written on evangelism. Evangelism 26. The world is marching to death. Hear the word. The 
world is marching to death but some of my friends say oh no they're saved as long as they're in ignorance and haven't had the opportunity she says the world is marching to death the world without Christ is marching to death so are you without Christ evangelism 32 the world is perishing in ignorance the world is perishing in ignorance I've had people even team members who have come with me to Russia they've said to me Pastor Carter while they don't know they're saved while they don't know they're saved if that is so my friend let's not tell anyone and that's the attitude of some people this is the main reason that evangelism is almost dead in the church because people do not believe the Word of God the world is perishing in ignorance ministry of healing marvelous book page 287288 the heathen are untaught and unsaved the heathen are untaught and unsaved because money that could and should be used to carry the gospel is misused millions are going to go to hell because the church misused the money but oh how comforting it is to the carnal lazy Christian to say oh have a fun day they're all saved until they know and as long as they're sincere they're going to be saved why bother going to Russia they're going to be saved if they're sincere unless a man is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God multitudes of the heathen are untaught unsaved because money has been misused it hasn't been used to take the gospel to the world if this doesn't start to stir you I say God have mercy on you how is a person saved naturally we're lost that's a fundamental truth so I'm in a state of lostness but God thank God he loves me he sends the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God comes and talks to my heart and I have a spiritual awakening and I cry out and I say I need a Savior and then God brings to me the gospel would you please come to Romans chapter 1 and I want you to notice what the Bible says Romans 1 verse 14 to 16 I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks both to the wise and the foolish that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome hey just wait a moment Paul was eager to preach the gospel why are so many today even among the ministry who are not eager to preach the gospel I'm going to tell you something which is a shame and a disgrace my friend Graham Bradford who was a ministerial from a ministerial secretary from Australia coming over here when I go to Russia to preach the word to you a great Christian a great preacher and almost discouraged 
He said, I don't have a good report. I said, why? He said, because many of our preachers are no longer preaching. They no longer have conviction. They think it doesn't matter anymore. And our churches are dying. The Apostle Paul said, I'm eager. You know why he was eager? Because he knew that he carried the message of life to a dying world. He didn't say to himself, well, these Romans over there, they're going to be saved if they're sincere. And as long as they're in darkness, he knew they were lost. And he was eager to preach the gospel to those who were in Rome. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I am saved, my friend, as I believe in the gospel. This is a word of God. People have said, why do you carry a burden for the Russian people? Because they're lost without Christ. Why do you think I'm working my heart out? It is because they're lost without Christ. I am eager to preach the gospel to the people in St. Petersburg. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Look at Romans 3, verse 19. Romans 3, 19 and onwards. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather through the law we become conscious of sin. You cannot be saved by your works. You can't, cannot be saved because you do good works as a Buddhist or a Muslim, or a Christian, or a Hindu, or any other religion, the Bible says good works are impotent to save. You hear this? Verse 21 and onwards, But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. We are not saved by what our works are. We are saved by Christ. We are saved by faith in Christ. And we are saved by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I believe, repent, I'm born again. And my name is written down in glory. And the angels rejoice and the Father sings. Now, listen to this. This is why 3ABN exists. I was talking to Danny and Linda, whom I love, my colleagues, my friends. And I said, Danny and Linda, this is why 3ABN exists, to save the lost. This is why we exist. Here it is. Preaching and teaching the good news are God's ordained means of saving 
the lost. That's why the work of the evangelist, the gospel pastor, is the most important work in the world. Come to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, verse 10 and onwards. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. I just want to hold it up there. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Blake here is a Jew. But first and foremost, he's a believer in Christ. Donna, his wife, is a Filipino. But in Christ, there is no nationality. There is no superiority of race or people say, hey, we're the greatest nation in the world. We are God's chosen few. That's a heresy. God has got his people in Russia and in Spain and in Turkey and in Chile and in Mexico and in Australia and in the United States of America and in Canada. There is no difference, the Bible says. Don't you dare bring a difference on this point. Read on. Verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. person came to me this week, <laughs> stirred me a little, said, why are you in this country? What are you doing here? I, I said, I'm a missionary. She said, you mean to say you think Americans need a missionary? I said, you read the newspapers? She said, no. Ever watch television? No, she said. I said, it's time you got out of that pit of ignorance. A missionary is a person with a mission. America needs men and women with a mission. And so does Australia. And so does Mexico. And so does Russia. So does the black man and the Jewish man and the Filipino man and the Anglo man and the Yugoslav man. Every person who is born into the kingdom of God, my friend, is born as a missionary. Every Christian is ordained to be a missionary. I have a mission to preach and teach the good news, and it is the greatest calling in the world. Because he who stands before the people carries the message of life and death. The Waldenses had this saying, ye shall be missionaries, or ye shall be nothing. Here is a statement out of Christianity Today. It's entitled, Whatever Happened to Evangelism? Christianity Today is the world's foremost evangelical Christian magazine. It's entitled, Whatever Happened to Evangelism? Louis Palau wants to rekindle our passion for the lost. Some say he's the man who's going to follow Billy Graham. 
Have other Christians opposed you on this issue? Did you know when you try to do evangelism in this country, you get opposition from other Christians? You know why you get this opposition? They do not understand basically the gospel. Don't understand these things. He says, I find that the people who most argue against evangelism as a priority haven't won a soul to Christ in decades. They are afraid of the non-believer. In almost every case, they stay within their closed circles. Is it true? Yeah. You know why evangelism, Dr. Harris, is unpopular in this country? It entails sacrifice and hard work. Isn't it easier to sit behind a desk and shuffle papers than another hundred people have shuffled before you? Listen, do you feel that American Christians have lost a sense of evangelistic fervor? Listen, oh, my heart empathizes with this man. He is a blood brother. When I was in Chicago doing lunch rallies, launch rallies, for say, yes, Chicago, a taxi driver took me to a press conference at Grant Park. The driver was a Muslim from Sudan, very talkative, eager to make me a Muslim. He was trying to convert me in the course of a 10-minute drive. I told him I was a Christian, which began a quick discussion about Jesus Christ. After a few minutes, he said, Islam is going to win in America. You Christians do not really believe Jesus Christ is the only answer and the only one. I said, of course we believe that. He said, no, you don't. I've been here for six years and I've hardly met a single American who believes Jesus is the only one and the only way and the only answer. I was amazed, moved, rebuked and ashamed. He was a foreigner in America unashamedly trying to convert me in 10 minutes. And meanwhile, we Christians beat around the bush. We are not convinced that people without Christ are truly, truly lost forever. If we did, we wouldn't be able to rest. We would jump at the chance to be part of a citywide crusade. If we believed that people were irrevocably lost without Christ, we would take advantage of every chance to preach the gospel. I believe that people are irrevocably lost without Christ. You may be a person who's wandered into this church, the Community Adventist Fellowship, and you may not be committed to Christ. You are irrevocably lost until you come to Christ and you're born again. You're not going to be saved because you did this and you did that and you were a good father or a good mother and you paid your taxes and you were an upright person because the Bible says the world without Christ is irrevocably lost. Why are we going to St. Petersburg? Why expend this effort? One church, one small ministry, a few weeks to go, and I, I'm still short, $250,000. Why do it? Why call people on the phone? Why write hundreds of letters? 
Why visit? Because the people in St. Petersburg, the six and a half million of them, those without Christ are irrevocably lost. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel. Would you like to know why so many pulpits are so dead, so lifeless, so boring? It is because the preacher does not have a passion for Christ or the lost. If he did, he would be driven to work for Christ. I had a man say to me not long ago, oh, you can't save everybody. You can't save the world. He spends most of his time on the beach. The world without Christ is lost. When I stand August 2 before the great multitude and they'll be there by the tens and the hundreds of the thousands, I will look out into the faces of people on the whole who know nothing about Christ. When I say we're going to pray, they won't even know, Elder Matico, that they ought to stand. They won't know to close their eyes because they're aliens. They're foreigners to the covenants of God and the promises. They're excluded from citizenship in the kingdom of God. They are in sin. They are in a state of death. They are without God and hope in the world. And God will use me. Glory be to God to bring them Christ, the hope of the world. And thousands are going to come to Christ. And people say, I've even had them say, I just smile. And I pray for these poor people. They say, they've even said it. We shouldn't be having a big campaign in St. Petersburg. What we need are some little home groups. Little home groups. I don't put down little home groups. Could you imagine a person, my friend, in the Midwest, and it's the time of harvest, and instead of sending out a big machine, he said, let's send somebody out with a pair of scissors. (laughs) Where is the vision? Where is the vision? The vision dies when people turn away from the plain truths of the Bible. When I was a little boy, four or five, I saw my first missionary. That's when I decided I'd be a missionary. Didn't plan to be a missionary to the American people. We lived on the riverbank, the great Brisbane River, and there came a boat that parked down the end of our property, right on the river. Of course it was on the river, but right on the river bank. The boat came up and moored. And I saw these people that I'd never, well, I did see some black people when I was a little boy. I told you folks I'd never seen a black person until I was a teenager. That was wrong, a slip of the brain. But I saw people whom we call the fuzzy wuzzies because their hair looked as though it had been super permed. And we had a poem about them. The American person wrote it. She wrote about the fuzzy wuzzy angels of the Owen Stanley track and the look upon their faces makes you think that Christ was black. Bringing back the wounded soldiers just as steady as a hearse. When our soldiers went up and fought the Japanese on the Owen Stanley track, 
our missionaries had worked in those places and those black fuzzy wuzzies came to the help of our soldiers. We call them the fuzzy wuzzy angels. And there were some fuzzy wuzzy angels in this boat. And uh, we were just new Christians. And my mother went down and told them that we were Adventist Christians. And we discovered they were Adventist Christians with a mission boat from the islands, the Solomon Islands. They came up to our house every night and they sang wonderful, wonderful songs, how the South Sea Islanders can harmonize. And there I got a vision. Those people, the heathen, were lost. And missionaries went there to bring them Christ. I've spoken to Pastor Keith who went into one of the highland areas of Papua New Guinea that was filled with headhunters. This is only a few years ago. As he came over the brow of the hill, he was confronted by thousands of naked savages with bows and arrows. And the men were twinging the string, ready to fire. He came with a little company of Australians and a black man who could understand the language. And Pastor Keith immediately stood up, big, strong, tall man, and started to preach about Christ to these heathen headhunters, savages in their nakedness. And the chief stood opposite, surrounded by thousands of his warriors. And then Pastor Keith told us the story personally as he ate with us at the young campground. The chief, huge man, ran over and picked up the big Australian in his hands, ran off with him. There was an uproar. The men had their spears, spears raised, their bows and arrows ready to go. And when the translator caught up with Pastor Keith, the chief said, when you spoke about the big man on top and how he came down and gave his son there was something in here that said, I can't let you go. I can't let you go. Because they were lost. People say, oh, they're saved while they're in darkness. What a heresy. Now, I'm going to answer a question because some folks are confused. Is there a possibility of someone being saved without having a living preacher? Alan White in the book Desire of Ages 638 says that there'll be some in the kingdom of God to whom the word was not brought by the living preacher. But she qualifies it. She says they were moved upon by the Spirit of God. They were led to worship the Creator. Their lives were changed by the power of God. They didn't know his name was Jesus but they knew him just the same. But listen carefully, experience around the world has shown that this is a rare exception. Ask anyone who's worked in heathen lands how many born-again believers they've found there among the savages. Ask Pastor Keith how many born-again believers he found that day. There is always the possibility of a supernatural divine encounter Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian who wrote the book, The Gullig Archipelago, tells of a Russian soldier 
Before he went into battle in the days of Stalin, he was an atheist, brought up in atheism, but there was something in his heart searching for God. In every man's heart there is a cry for God. And this Russian soldier said, wife, who made the thumb? Why don't we have five fingers? He looked at his hand. He said, surely there must be a designer. And he said, I do not know his name, but I will call him the God of the thumb. As he went into battle, he said, oh God of this thumb, have mercy on me and save me from my sins. It can happen. But it's the rare exception. But what the church is doing is taking the rare exception and making it a cloak to cover sin. Many today in the church are hiding behind the desire of ages statement while ignoring a hundred plain texts of the Bible and other statements from the writing of Ellen White. Hence the death of evangelism. So come back to the great theme of scripture. People are irrevocably lost without Christ. And people are saved when they accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Hence the words of our blessed Lord. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Why did Jesus say it? Because it is God's way of saving the lost. We all have heroes, and my hero is John Wesley, the little Englishman who was driven out of his church, who preached 42,000 sermons, traveled hundreds of thousands of miles on the back of a horse, who rode through the ice and the snow, who survived attacks by mobs, who was stoned, who was thrown on countless occasions into the river. As he went down to Cornwall, he was assailed by a mighty mob who were going to put him to death. This little man, five foot four, in a clergyman's robe, his wig down, his hair down to his shoulders. He started to talk to these men about Christ and the love of God, and he said to them, will you kill me for that? I've come among you as a man to tell you of a God who sent his son. Will you kill me for that? And when the Church of England was bogged down beneath a hierarchy and departmentalism and dead preachers, he went out and preached in the fields. A man sent from God whose name was John. He died an old, old man. He went into an inn after riding all day in the snow and the ice, preaching six times a day. The crowd came in so hungry to hear the word of God. He walked up the stairs to go to bed, but they wouldn't let the old saint go to bed. And John Wesley took a candle from the innkeeper and he held up the candle and to the crowd in the inn Below, below, at the bottom of the stairs, he, searched, he preached the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he held up the candle, and the candle burnt down, and the candle went out. And he went into his room and got into bed and fell asleep in Christ. He held up the candle, 
to the very end. My message today to the church and to those who truly believe in Christ is this. Hold up the candle. Amen. Amen. Please kneel. I want to appeal firstly today to those who are outside of Christ. I'm not saying outside of a church denominational structure. I'm saying outside of Jesus. And I'm going to appeal to the church, those who are inside Christ, to say that they're going to be missionaries for God. They're going to join with us in preaching the gospel in Russia and Ukraine and the United States of America. We, we're already thinking of plans for a great campaign in North America next year. We may not go to Russia next year, I don't know, but we're thinking of a great campaign on satellite. But we want you to pray about these things and think of the words that you've heard today. Dear Father in heaven, there's something about your word. It is so plain, it is so powerful. It is so clear. And we come to you today, every one of us, and, and not just every one of us, Lord, but any person in this church today who doesn't know Christ, who hasn't been born again, speak to the hearts of those dear people and help them to come to Christ while they have this opportunity to be saved. And we pray for those who've come to Christ. Might it be that there will come a resolve in the heart of every man, woman, and child in this church, and they will say, I will be a missionary. I'll be a missionary to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. I will seek the lost. I will seek to save people through the blood of Jesus. Bless these precious people today. Bless the preparation for this massive campaign for the souls of St. Petersburg. Lord, we need 250,000. And we're coming to the end of our tether. And so it is time for you to work and to take over and do what we are impotent to do. Thank you for these precious, earnest people. May this word trouble those who need to be troubled. May it get inside people. May it stir them. May they have no rest day nor night until they accept this great truth that we're saved by Christ and Christ alone. Bless these precious people for Jesus' sake, amen.